0: hello everyone welcome back to the podcast we're going to continue with cat patrick forgotten and we left off on chapter 12 so we're just gonna jump right in and get to reading chapter 12 is that him jamie whispers as she leans forward towards me our desks are pushed together head to head We're supposed to be translating a Spanish newspaper article into English. Instead, Jamie's flirting with Anthony and I'm looking at faded photographs that I expertly hidden within the pages of my Spanish dictionary. I guess so, I whisper back. I'm not sure why we're whispering. We're supposed to talk during language lab. Miss Garcia looks at us funny, so Jamie translates the headline of the story. Earthquake shakes Mexico City. El terremoto, she reads aloud in Spanish as she writes the phrase and sanctuated the tongue roll to make me giggle. I know she's trying to lighten the mood. I hear Amber Valentine behind me struggling to pronounce hambre or hungry. Giving up, she decides to amuse her partner by saying Tengo Amberger and I suspect the reason he laughs so hard at her stupid joke is that Amber Valentine looks like someone named Amber Valentine. Let me see another one, Jamie commands. When she's finished writing, I offer her the dictionary with the photos inside. As she checks them out, I look at the pictures upside down and backwards, thinking to myself that my dad looks exactly as I'd imagine him to look. He has kind eyes and a huge open mouthed grin. Clearly I got my hair color from him, but his skin is ghost-like and freckled, whereas mine is more creamy porcelain like mom's. Wearing 90% SPF sunblock, I am capable of getting a tiny tint of tan. I see from photos that dad is either white or burnt. I can always hear an easy booming laugh erupting from the worn images. His uniform of choice seems to be faded jeans and on shirts and in it, he's big and strong, ready to fight off monsters, real or imagined. Jamie pauses at a photo of my father teaching a preschool age me to swim. In the picture, he's looking at my younger, more scraggly self with a mixture of admiration, curiosity and blatant love. I feel like I'm going to cry. Jamie glances my way and then turns the page. Is this your grandmother? She asks quietly. Where? I say, leaning towards her now. She turns the book in my direction and points to the background of a photo of my dad holding baby me. There, standing behind us, is someone I hadn't even noticed. Someone I don't know but recognize. Someone I haven't met yet, but will. My heart beat quickens as I grab the dictionary and yank it back to my son, the desk island. I lean in closer and closer, still wishing that I had one of those tiny magnifying glass things that diamond dealers use. There, in the middle of Spanish, with Jamie staring at me like she's embarrassed to know me, something clicks. The woman in the background of the photo is very clearly my grandmother. She is looking at baby me with such love and devotion that it almost hurts. More than her expression, her appearance is the dead giveaway. Her hair matches mine and my father's, and much of the rest of hers carbon-copied in him is sprinkled in me. Twenty minutes, Miss Garcia calls to the class, interrupting my analysis. Jamie mutters something profane under her breath and grabs our paper. She begins furiously translating. Want help, I offer? No, keep obsessing, she says, without looking up. Thanks. No problem. 20 minutes later, Jamie has turned in the lab paper. We'll get back next week with a bright red B-plus on top, and we're gathering our things. I'm carefully sliding the dictionary back into my bag, trying not to let any photos loose. What are we doing for lunch? Jamie asks, slinging her bag over her shoulder. Just then, I remember what I'm doing. I straighten up and look at my friends. Luke asked me to lunch today, I say. Oh, she says, sounding disappointing. I think I see a flash of something in her eyes. Annoyance? Jealousy? That's okay, I'll go with Anthony. Sorry, Jay. I notice then that Anthony is leaving in a hurry, and I wonder how she really spends her lunch hour. As I walk to meet Luke, my mind is on the photos. One photo, really. One person. Specifically, my grandmother. I can't believe that I didn't recognize her this morning. Now I consider what that recognition means. On one hand, I have an older, wiser role model who presumably loves me and might want to bake me cookies and braid my hair. Well, okay, just the cookies. But on the other hand, my single future memory of her is the darkest one I've got. My grandmother is the older woman wearing the pretty beetle brooch at the funeral. My brain twists and turns as I round the corner to the commons. I see Luke leaning against the far wall, bag dropped to the floor next to him. His eyes are cast down. He appears to be deep in thought. As soon as I wonder what he's thinking about, his eyes are on mine. He smiles, pushes off the brick wall, and picks up his bag. For some reason, my brain chooses that exact moment to figure it out. I stop halfway across the comments. A boy nearly collides with me. Luke looks confused. The funeral? Grandma? Mom? There's only one logical explanation. I don't want to think about it. But the thought shoves his way to front of the line anyway. It's dad's funeral. My dad is going to die. There. Thoughts. Chapter 13 I am almost completely distracted by Luke by the time we make it through the rows of student cars and reach his. Minivan. He laughs at my baffled expression at the sight of a car usually reserved for soccer moms. Apparently, it was his circle mom's car before she replaced it with an oh-so-economical SUV. As he starts the engine, Luke confirms that yes, I'm still fine with going to his house for lunch instead of going out for pizza or something. Apparently, his mother has taken his baby sister shopping for new clothes in the city today. Apparently, Luke has baby sisters. How old are they? I asked, looking around the van. Almost three, Luke says. I scroll my face in concentration as I try to figure out the math. Are you wondering whether one of my parents is remarried? Luke asks with a laugh. Sort of, I confess. It's a pretty huge age difference. Yeah, it is, Luke says. My parents had me young. And they decided to have more kids later? Yep. They divorced and remarried each other, then had the twins. I must still have a funny look on my face because Luke keeps talking. I know, it's weird. Won't you hear the saga? Yes, I say enthusiastically. Okay, Luke says, smiling. So, we lived in Chicago when I was born. My parents were high school sweethearts. They got married young, right after graduation. Can you even imagine? He asks, but doesn't let me answer. Anyway, they had me when they were 25 or something. They were super poor, so we lived in my grandparents' basement. My dad was in law school and my mom took care of me and worked nice to help pay for it. I guess they were pretty happy despite the no money thing. After school, my dad got recruited by a big law firm in New York. We moved there when I was around five or so. You lived in New York? That's so cool, I say, remembering the city from visits I'll have as an adult. I can't wait to go. Yeah, it was, I mean, I was young, but I remember a lot of it. My mom used to take me around the city. It was really fun. You know how some childhood memories just stick with you? Yeah, I lie, trying to plaster the nostalgic look on my face. Luke pauses and smiles at me. He looks like he wants to ask something, but he doesn't. Instead, he continues his story. Anyway, the fun didn't last long. Dad made partner and my parents started fighting because he spent a lot of time at work. Like a lot. I don't remember him being home much for a few years. At least you remember him at all, I think. Luke exits the freeway and turns right towards the newer housing development across the highway from mine. I'm happy to discover how close we live to each other. Luke goes on. So when I was about 10, they got a divorce. For two years, I didn't see my dad at all. He sent cards on my birthday and stuff. Cringe. And I know he paid child support. We moved to Boston. My mom took a job at a furniture store. She worked a ton, and so I spent the summers with my aunt and uncle. Luke pauses again, as if he's waiting for me to say something. Unsure how to respond, I look back until he is forced to return his eyes to the road. He continues. Then one day, Dad showed up with flowers and begged Mom to take him back. Eventually, she did. And he took a job in Boston at a smaller firm and came home at 5.30 every night. It was like New York had never happened. It was all pretty weird, but that's my parents. Then one day, they shocked me with news that they're having twins wow i say when he's finished i know sorry that was really long and boring luke says no not at all it sounds like a movie luke laughs and says oh i'm sure we all have our movie dramas dramas i mean in a way that makes me think that he can see into my soul what about your parents he asked casually my mom sells real estate i say Eyes on the houses were passing. What about your dad? What does he do? I don't know, I say quietly. Luke glances at me. Sorry for bringing it up, he says. It's no big deal, I lie. In truth, it's a very big deal. Particularly today. But it's nothing I need to share with a potential boyfriend. Who seems to play no part in my future. I'm relieved when we reach Luke's house. Luke's very new, very large house. We go in and after a quick tour of the main level, Luke fixes turkey sandwiches in the kitchen while scanning a mantelpiece in the library, barsing with framing photos of him and his little sisters. I feel a little twinge of jealousy at the sight of the happy siblings. A particular photo of Luke when he looks to be 11 or 12 catches my attention, then magnetically draws it back the first few times I look away. In it, he's clearly going through a tough guy fashion phase, but I can't stop looking at it. Finally, I focus on the shots of his baby sisters. They're adorable, I say, about the little girls when Luke brings in lunch. Yeah, they really are. You should see them in real life. They say them as hilarious stuff. Luke is beaming, and the thought of him starving as older brother to these two precious ladies feels right. Anyway, you meet them sometime, he adds. Here you go, he says, offering me a plate. I didn't know you were on a rowing team, I say, before taking a bite of the best turkey sandwich on earth. He frowns, and I consider that he might have shared that with me already. Instead, he replies, I need to keep you away from photos. It's cute, I mumble through bread and turkey, admiring a photo of Luke and his teammates. He looks oddly out of place among the Ivy-bound prepsters, but strangely at ease, just the same. Ha ha, he replies sarcastically, and then smiles. I'm not really into team sports, but crew is pretty fun. You have no idea what cold is until you've been docked in Charles River at six in the morning. We share a laugh and then finish our lunches before Luke gives me a guided tour of the rest of the house. It's gorgeous and with every new room I search for traces of him. Luke does his homework here, Luke watches TV there, Luke plays video games here, Luke eats dinner there. Upstairs there are four bedrooms bordering a U-shaped balcony that overlooks the main entryway. In one corner is the master bedroom, closest to it is the twins bedroom. Next is the guest bedroom, and then we approach Luke's room. My heart races a bit as I take in the dark wood and deep blue walls, which stand in stark contrast to the lightness of the rest of the house. I can see a well-worn guitar leaning against a low chair in the corner. A massive oil painting of a girl's ear rests against the wall. It's strange and beautiful at the same time, and I can't help but wonder who the ear belongs to. Does Luke want to paint my ear? The covers are thrown in a modest attempt at making the bed, and I find myself wanting to run over its smaller pillows. Somehow I manage not to act like a total stalker. We're tight on time so I don't get much farther than the doorway, and too soon Luke is gently guiding me away from the only place I care to be at this second. We should go, he says softly, placing his hand on my back. I don't want to get you in trouble. I reluctantly agree, but as we make our way back down the grand staircase and out to the minivan, I feel an unmistakable pull from his bedroom. There's just so much Luke in that room. I want more of it. We drive back to school in comfortable silence and walk inside hand in hand. Just before parting ways in the middle of the commons, Luke turns to face me. Want to go out on a Saturday night? Yes, I say. Maybe before he's even finished his question, I grin at him and he laughs at me. And then he moves closer. I hold my breath, considering that Luke might kiss me right here, in the middle of the comments. Just as I'm deciding whether or not I can kiss with an audience, Luke, staring intently into my eyes, raises a hand toward my face. Slowly, softly, he rubs his thumb along my jawbone. I am hypnotized by the most perfect kind of touch. Oddly, it feels even more intimate than a kiss. Talk to you later, Luke whispers, before breaking the trance and heading off in the direction of his next class. Bye, I breathe after him. I stand still, releasing the moment. Then, just before I turn to float to history, a familiar outfit catches my eye. At the other end of the vast common area, Jamie stands in front of the soda machine, staring at me. I wave and she waves back, but there is something missing in her simple gesture. I consider going and talking to her, but before I can move, Jamie turns and leaves. Chapter 14 Jamie! Hi, why are you answering like that? I'm just surprised that you're calling, I guess, I admit. Why, Jamie plays dumb. You seemed upset today, I say softly. I don't know what you're talking about. I imagine the guilty look on her face on the other end of the phone. I can hear it in her voice and that's enough for me. I'm moving on. So what's up? Not much, she says, had dinner, watched some TV. Me too. Did you say anything to your mom about the stuff you found? What? No. I practically shout into the phone. I can't talk to her about that. I add at a lower volume. I hear you, Jamie says in a way that annoys me. Jamie's mom will never be sneaky like mine. She'll support Jamie through everything. Anyway, I did it, she says. Did what, I asked. Ugh, your messed up memory is um, so annoying sometimes, she says with a heavy sigh. I met Ted after school. And then I remember. I remember the relationship that will destroy marriage, ruin a career, and then break my best friend's heart. I recall notes about trying to talk her out of it, and more notes about trying to ignore it. I remember the future when it all plays out, and suddenly I feel sick to my stomach. Jamie is stubborn, but I should have tried harder. Oh, Jamie, are you okay? Okay? Are you serious? I'm better than okay. He's amazing. I can't help but wonder if this is in response to Jamie seeing me with Luke. Jamie, I just think you need to really consider what you're doing. This is a big deal. I'm trying to sound like a concerned friend and not a parent, but it's coming out the other way around. I thought you'd be happy for me. Jay, I want you to be happy. I just don't think this is right. I'm really worried about you. Well, don't be, Jamie snaps. I know she's pissed, and yet I have to keep trying. I ignore the notes that told me never to tell Jamie about her future. He's not going to leave his wife, and you'll just end up hurt. You'll even try to- Shut up, London, Jamie shouts into the phone. I told you not to tell me anything and you wrote it down so i know you know don't even try to pretend you don't fine i say forcefully i won't tell you but you don't have to remember the future to know that grown man only wants one thing from a high school girl don't be a bitch london i won't if you stop acting like a slut we're both silent And I immediately went to suck the biting words back into my mouth. But it's too late. My memory is right. Jamie and I won't talk again for a while after this. Still, I try to fix the situation. Jay, I just, I worry about you. Well, you don't have to worry anymore. We're done. Click. Chapter 15 October 27th, Wednesday. Clothes. Navy blue cardigan with yellow tank underneath. Faded Levi's. School. math tests. Read chapters 5 and 6 before school. Download a couple of cool logo samples for graphic design project in backpack. Finish English essay and print before Friday. Drama. Check out dark memory file on computer. I think it might be dad's funeral. Can't deal with how unfair that is. I almost asked mom about him today, but thought it was a bad idea. See, envelope of stuff she's hidden from me. Why? I want to meet him before anything happens. Jamie is seriously pissed. She ignored me in Spanish. Notes say she has all week. Then came over after school for a borrowed clothes swap like we were breaking up. Barely spoke to me. Then ripped the BFF poster in half. I feel bad, but this is crazy. Bright side. Luke and I have a date on Saturday night. Unfortunately, we didn't talk much at study hall today. He was sketching a giant ear? Most of the time and then he had to go help his mom at lunch. Think he was about to kiss me before he left. Maybe Saturday? Chapter 16. Have I ever changed something that was supposed to happen? I asked my mom as we pulled into the parking lot before school. My head is heavy and it's only 7.24 in the morning. What do you mean? The future, I say, wishing for one second she could read my mind so I didn't have to explain it. My memories. Have I ever changed a memory? Hmm, let me think, she says, pondering the thought a little too long. Finally, she's got something. You skipped Jamie's 13th birthday party. Why? You remember that you were going to break your nose, she says with a chuckle. Not funny, I think, but I say quite listen. It was a pool party at the rack center, out on the deck. There were sliding glass doors, and you remembered running full force into one of them. So you skipped the party. And what happened, I ask. You missed out on the fun, and you broke your nose later that year when you tripped over a stray dog that you brought home. We're now in the drop-off area and I need to get out. She looks over and touches the tip of her nose It looked perfectly fine to me in the mirror this morning. So really I didn't change anything. I asked, part dejected and part annoyed. Frankly, I'm having a hard time not asking her why she's been lying to me my whole life, as this morning notes it. I guess not, my mom says. I guess not, my mom says, when I exhale loudly. She adds, that's not to say that you couldn't, you know. Maybe you just did it in that situation. What's wrong, London? I just feel sick, I say, because right now, I really do. Another parent gives her car horn a gentle tap to politely ask us to move along. My mom glances in the rearview mirror, then looks at me earnestly. You know, London, the thing is, unless you told me about it or wrote it down, you wouldn't really know that you were making changes to your future, even if you were. Does that make sense? I take a moment to consider her statement. Say that right now. I remember that tomorrow I'll be hit by a bus. I don't tell my mom about it or write it down tonight, so tomorrow morning that knowledge is lost completely. But tomorrow, I can take a different route to school and unknowingly avoid the bus-hitting incident. Then, I've changed my future without knowing it. I genuinely smile for the first time this morning. It makes perfect sense, I say. As I release my seatbelt and open the door, I wave goodbye, rush inside, and head to my first class. Barely inside the locker room, I'm accosted by Paige Thomas. Have you asked him yet? She asks, standing awkwardly in her baggy sportswear. I can see a costume in Paige's locker instead of street clothes. I'm dressed in black prunac sweater, a black denim skirt, and orange and black striped tights that I found in my dresser. Not a costume, but a festive just the same. Paige stares at me, arms crossed, as if it's my duty to seal her romantic fate. For a glimmer of a second, I consider telling her the truth. But then I think of Brad Thomas and what he will do to her. I think of her public rejection. I think of the sadness in her when it happens. And then I think to myself, underneath it all, I can't deny that I want to try to change something small to find out whether I might be able to change something big. With all of this in mind, rather than telling Paige Thomas the truth that I never actually spoke to Brad, I turned to face the girl in the baggy sportswear it a lie right to her face. Paige, I say, feigning sympathy. I'm so sorry, but apparently Brad Thomas is gay. Chapter 17 Bye, I call to my mom before closing the front door and joining Luke on the porch. This is it, our first dates. I pour through their notes all day giggling and gasping right up until the moment I started getting ready. That took an hour, and then I spent the next one toning it down to make it look effortless. He's late, but I don't mind. He's here. Luke directs me to the maroon minivan in the driveway, which I'm glad my notes warned me about, because otherwise I'd be concerned. He holds the door open for me in a way that's more natural than forced. He seems to be a gentleman, probably the product of polite parents. We settle into our seats and strap seat belts across our bodies. Sorry I'm late, he says. It's fine, I say. I got caught up in a painting, he explains, as he turns the ignition and adjusts the heat. I lost track of time. Annoyance creeps up on me. He was painting? I take a deep breath and shove it away. He's here now. How are you? He asks so intimately that I want you to grab him. I'm completely over his lateness. I'm fine, I say, smiling. How about you? Better now, he says, expertly backing out of the driveway onto the quiet street. Do I smell pizza, I ask, suddenly salivating. Luke glances in my direction and then forwards again. Sorry, he says. I just picked some off from my family before I left. Oh, I say and shrug to myself as Luke shifts the van into drive and accelerates. The radio plays quietly as Luke navigates the streets of my development, like he's lived here for years. Soon enough, we're barreling north on one of the two highways that run in and out of town. What happened to the movie, I asked. He had outlined a dinner and movie day for my mom. But I don't care where we go. I don't mind if I stare at a blank wall, as long as I do it in Luke's presence. Don't worry, I didn't lie to your mom, he says cryptically. I wasn't worried, but... And it's okay if you did. I say, looking out of the clear, cold night. Luke drives and I ride north and north and north of town. And for a fleeting second, I wonder whether I'm that guy in horror movies who walks towards the monster instead of running away to safety. I'm breezily allowing this cute guy I don't remember to take me to the back of beyond. Then as quickly, as it arrived, I push the thought away. There is nothing monstrous about Luke Henry. There is nothing frightening about the boy I know from my notes. I feel completely safe in this van that smells like pizza. I watch the sky as we drive, and the farther we get from the city, the more stars appear. Do you even know where you're going, I ask, not minding if we got lost. Didn't you just move here? I scoped out our destination this afternoon, he admits. How very organized of you, I say, settling back into the seat and feeling totally at ease. I'm completely calm as Luke turns off the highway onto a slip road, takes a right onto a smaller residential street, and turns right onto a dirt road that winds up a small hill onto blackness. I feel as safe as I feel in years, as this stranger eases his mother's minivan off the gravel and drives slowly across the prairie to the edge of a small hill. Luke parks directly in front of a no trespassing sign on the barbed bed wire fence that keeps us from driving off the incline. He kills the engine and the headlights along with it. I take in the twinkling, scattered town below, sprawling across more than 20 miles of land. Just because he can. Cool, I say. Yeah, I thought so, he says eyes straight ahead. I like that he likes this town. It's not for everyone, but it will always be a little part of me. So you've never been up here? Good question, I think. Um, no, I reply. In fact, I have no idea where we are. Luke takes his eyes off the landscape for the first time and settles them on me. His hands are still resting lightly on the steering wheel. You're pretty trusting, you know. I could be a murderer. Yeah, you could be, but I doubt it. I say transfixed by his pale eyes. I feel too safe with you. You are he says sweetly. He pauses for a few moments, and I think he might lean over and kiss me, but he doesn't. Okay, he says louder, hitting his hands lightly on the steering wheel. Let's get this party started. You hungry? Yeah, but I don't think anyone delivers out here, I say scanning the barren land around us. Never fear, I've got it covered. Just a minute. Luke pops the trunk, gets out, and just disappears behind the van. I turn around to see what he's doing and realize that the middle row of seats is missing. On the third row, there are now two throw pillows that look like they were taken from someone's couch, a soft-knitted blanket folded neatly on the seat, and a small cooler on top of the blanket. Luke spies me checking out his setup and smiles sheepishly when our eyes meet. My stomach spins at the sight of the dimple on his right cheek. He closes the trunk with a thud. Instead of getting back in the driver's seat, Luke opens the automatic sliding door on the far side of the van and climbs in. He's carrying what looks like a pizza delivery sleeve in his right hand and a plastic bag in his left. Liar, I say playfully. Come on back, he instructs with a laugh. Instead of attempting to gracefully climb between our seats, I get out of the van and enter through the sliding door on my side. Crouched down, I walk to the back of the vehicle and sit next to Luke, who has clearly cleared the blanket and the cooler from the third row, and propped a pillow on the seat back for me to lean against. From some secret compartment he retrieves a remote control. Oh, whoops, he says as he gets up and scoots to the front of the van. He reaches up to the dashboard and tries the ignition, fiddles with the heater and some other controls, then returns to our seat. I hadn't noticed a drop down DVD player until now. It illuminates the back seat, A copyright warning warning is our nightlight as Luke pulls a miraculously warm pizza from the sleeve. Apparently he borrowed it, retrieves paper plates and napkins from the bag, and grabs sodas from the cooler. I recognize the movie from the first five notes of the soundtrack. As the signature opener of Star Wars scrolls off the tiny screen, I scoot closer to Luke Henry on our makeshift couch in the middle of nowhere. I'm the happiest I'll be in years. I love this movie, I whisper. Yeah, he smiles, looking at the screen. Yeah, what, I ask. I thought you might. Luke looks at me like he can see into my soul. And all of a sudden, I feel naked. Breaking the tension, I reach for the pizza at my feet and begin eating. Luke follows suit, and between the two of us, the whole thing is going quickly. Just a quick break. But ladies and gentlemen, doesn't that sound like a perfect date? Like a low-key, perfect day between two people who like each other? Just saying. Maybe Luke Henry has a bright idea of what to do. Alright, back to it. Luke follows suit, and between the two of us, the whole thing is gone quickly. Full and content, we watch the movie in silence. Halfway through, I pull the blanket over my legs. Someone texts Luke, but he doesn't answer. He turns the ringer off and tosses the phone to the front seat. He puts his arm around my shoulders, and we snuggle together like we've known each other forever. After the movie, Luke makes his way to the front of the van, explaining that he should turn off the car for a little bit to conserve gas. I don't want to get us stranded out here, he explains. I wouldn't mind, I reply. I wouldn't either, he says seriously, but I think your mom might. Instead of rejoining me, Luke pulls over the moonroof and asks me to hand him the pillows. He lines them up against the back of the driver and passenger seats and lies down with his head on one. Come here, he says. More is a question than a command. The van has grown cold quickly so I drag the blanket with me as I scoot to the forward section and lie down parallel to Luke. We saddle the blanket over both of us, tucking it around our bodies to trap the heat. Luke and I stare straight out through the large window at the winter sky, overcrowded with stars. My teeth begin to chatter and my body starts shaking, but it's not the cold. Luke moves closer to me and grabs my hand under the covers. "'This is nice,' he says softly after moments of silence. "'Yeah, it is,' I say quietly. "'Like we've known each other for a while, right?' he asks. "Uh "'Uh-huh,' I mumble, scooting closer to Luke's warm shoulder. "'Want my theory?' Luke asks, carefully rolling onto his side to face me. His eyes look mischievous, like he's got a great secret to tell. "'Yes, please.' I say, still on my back while facing him, instead of the stars now. Reincarnation. Reincarnation? Yeah, you know what that is, right? He asks. Of course I do, I'm not dumb. I'm just wondering what that has to do with us. Well, my theory is that we were married in some past life. Maybe I was a great king and you were my queen, and we were killed by an angry mob. What did we do to make the mob so angry that they wanted to kill us? I tease. Luke laughs and continues. Alright, forget that. Maybe we are just average people living sometimes someplace just elsewhere. time. That's not even a word, he says, sidetracked. I know, I just made it up. Go on. Okay, fine. We were married, I time. Anyway, we died of whatever you die from. Let's say natural causes. But we were in love so our souls keep finding each other in whatever forms our bodies take. Are you Hindu or something? I asked, avoiding the fact that my stomach isn't nuts from hearing his beautiful theory. No, we used to be Catholic, but I did have a religion class at my last school that exposed us to different ideas. I think the concept of reincarnation is a good one. If you're Catholic, shouldn't you believe in heaven and hell and all that? I said I used to be Catholic, he replies. No heaven then, huh? I press on. Who knows until we experience it. I think that heaven and reincarnation are both ways of making us feel better about what happens to people's souls after death. I hope at least one of them is true. I don't like to think about being worm food. Yeah, I don't really like to think of death at all, I replied truthfully. We're both quiet for a few minutes and Luke breaks the silence. I think you're supposed to save the death discussion until at least the third date. We chuckle half-heartedly, and Luke rolls on to his back again. Trying to lighten the mood, I ask, What were our names? Our names? Luke says, sounding confused. Yes, our names, I was time. We were madly in love and married and all that. It sounds so cheesy when you say it like that. Luke looks away for a few seconds, and I imagine that he's blushing, but I can't be sure. No, I say quickly. I like it. Don't be embarrassed. He looks back into my eyes and we're locked there for a few moments. And then, before I can worry about what he's doing, Luca leans over and kisses me. Barely there at first, then more purposeful. The kiss is soft and electric at the same time. He has me speechless. It's, It's so perfect that before it's over I'm heartbroken that I won't remember it. When we part, Luke's eyes stay on mine. The moment is more intense than he even knows. I look away. Are you okay? He asks. Was that bad? Quickly, I meet his gaze again. No, I say a little too loudly. Not at all. It was amazing. I'm glad to be in the dark. I can feel my face flush. Good, Luke says. Because I've wanted to do that for a while. Well, I'm glad you did, I reply with a grin. Maybe it's the acknowledgement of the situation, but at once I feel silly. Luke might too. He eases onto his back again, carefully to leave room for me to cuddle close. There's an awkward silence again until I throw a rock through it. So, was time, I think my name was Hallowice, or Elizabeth. No, I've got it, it was Caroline. Luke waits a beat, then joins the game. That's a good one, he responds earnestly, and I was Benjamin. Or William, I interrupt. Oh yeah, that's good too. I was William. I was a stone mason. Of course you were, and I was a housewife raising our three children, Eliza, Matilda, and Rax, after our pet dinosaur. Rax, I screech. All of the happy nervousness jumps out at me at once. I burst out laughing and can't stop. I'm delirious. Luke laughs at me for a minute and then calms himself and stares in awe as I crawl into a bowl and nearly hyperventilate. By the time I've composed myself, I have tears streaming down my cheeks and my stomach muscles ache. That funny, huh? Residual giggles sneak out of me as I unfold myself and smooth the blanket back across my legs. Pretty funny, I agree. Or maybe I'm just easily amused. Cheap day, he teases. I lean over and playfully punch him with my left hand, which he grabs and holds for safekeeping. You're surprising, I say, looking to the sky. Also, he acts. Most guys don't make up stories like that, I say, quietly thinking of the boys and men I will encounter in my lifetime. Especially not guys who look like you. Well, most girls who look like you are prom queens, Luke says, matching my tone. But you seem to avoid the spotlight. You have one good friend, and you do your own thing. I like that about you. He kisses my knuckles and sends a spark through me. Where do we live? I ask softly, gently removing my hand so that I can lie flat and get comfortable. I scoot even closer to his side, if that's possible. Let's see. I believe we lived in... Ireland. I've answered my own question. Oh, right, Luke agrees clearly okay heading back to make-believe. And we farmed potatoes. We were busy, I murmur, feeling exhausted. The emotions, the laughter, the warmth, it's all weighing me down now. Yes, we were very, very busy. I had red hair, I continue, so comfortable I feel like I'm in my own bed. Of course, Luke wouldn't be there with me, so I'm glad I'm here. You have red hair now, he says. I know, I think I'll always have red hair. I hope so, it's one of the best things about you. Luke's words are garbled, and I'm spellbound by the even tone of his voice and the vast blackness of the universe above. Thanks, I speak in a barely audible tone. Luke's breath is even now, and mine falls in step with his. I am thankful for this day. This boy beside me and this blanket keeping us warm. A distant question forms the depths of my mind. What time is it? The question is fleeting. flitting, pushed aside by a more prevalent and wonderful thought. I think I'm falling in love. No, I know I am. I'm falling in love with Luke. I close my eyes from the sheer mass of it all, just for a moment. For a few moments. For a while. And now I'm in Ireland. I'm in the Ireland I've seen in movies at least, standing in a gargantuan green field, with a short stone wall marking perimeters too far off to reach. I know this is our land, Luke's and mine. The tiny stone cottage behind us with the smoke billowing from the chimney is ours too. Beside me, Luke wears a thick ivory wool sweater and a plaid scarf and he smokes a pipe. Since when does Luke smoke a pipe? More important, what are we doing in Ireland? Most important, why is that Tyrannosaurus Rex charging towards us, teeth bared and hungry? Oh no! Oh no! No 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 no! This can't be happening. Somehow, from deep in my consciousness, I realize that I'm asleep. I know the sweater-wearing, smoking Irish Luke is not the real Luke, the one that already I can't remember. The thought of him is barely out of reach, but it's gone nonetheless like something you were going to say or forgot and can't quite grasp again. I reach into the pockets of my dream apron and search frantically for the note that I have left myself. It's not there in my dream. It will not be there when I awaken. There is no note. There will be no memory. Real Luke is gone. Chapter 18. Where am I? I shout, terrified. I sit up and pull the blanket to my chest. Whose blanket is this? I take in my surroundings. I'm in a van. I'm in a van for a strange guy. I strain my neck to peek out of the window and realize that I'm in the middle of nowhere. In a van. Rapists drive vans. Wondering if I've been violated, I concentrate on my private parts for any indication of wrongdoing. The parts seem to have remained private, but I can't be sure. Hysteria creeps through my veins and I scream again, louder this time. Where am I? The stranger startles awake. Huh? He croaks, staring at me like I'm crazy. He blinks his eyes a couple of times and then shakes his head like he's waking up from a bad dream. What is going... He sits up and looks out the window. No. He shouts, oh no, this is bad. It's light out. Obviously, I think but don't vocalize. I don't want to poke the bear. What time is it? He asks under his breath. He is furiously trying to untangle himself from half of the blanket I'm holding. So I let it go. He succeeds and pushes a button to open the sliding door next to him. He hops out of the van, closes the sliding door, and throws himself into the driver's seat. In moments, the brand roars to life. We gotta go, he says, adjusting the rearview mirror. Are you running back there, he asks. I consider that it might be easier to jump from the passenger seat if need be, so I move to the front of the car. I keep my hand firmly wrapped around the door handle as Mystery Boy backs away from a barbed wire fence and towards a dark road. London, are you okay, he asks, once we've turned onto a paved residential road. At least he knows my name. And at least he looks to be my age. It's possible that I managed to willingly get myself into this situation, and I forgot to write a note. London, he asks, looking at me with eyes that didn't know anyone other than movie stars possessed. His voice sounds almost fearful. This calms me slightly, which is good, because I think I'm approaching a major panic attack. I'm fine, I answer, before looking away from him and out the window. I am so sorry, he says, when I don't respond, he adds. Your mom must be really strict, Tom. I hope you aren't in serious trouble. We're silent as we ride and they're turning off the highway towards my housing development. My shoulders begin to relax with the realization that this stranger is at least driving me home. The terror has subsided. I must know this person. I just need to go ahead home and ask my mom who he is or look in my spiral notebooks to figure it out. And then, new terror sets in. When I consider that sleeping in the middle of nowhere in vast with stranger boys isn't something my mother will condone. Nor is coming home at... What time is it? Anyway. 7.14 in the morning. As the boy rounds the street corner to my house, I can't almost see it breathing with motherly rage. We're barely into the driveway before the front door flings open and my mom is rushing to meet me. The car hasn't stopped before she begins tugging at the door handle. Oh, man, the boy whispers, as he struggles to put the van in park so the automatic locks were released. I am so sorry, London, he says once again, and I feel bad for him this time. Both of you in the house. My mom barks at me and the stranger. He tentatively turns off the engine and unbuckles his seatbelt. I mimic his movements and follow him and my mom inside. My mom storms through the front entryway to the living room and stops abruptly in the center of the room. Sit, she orders when we hover over the fridge. I take a seat on the far edge of the chocolate leather couch, and the boy sits in the middle. He leaves a decent amount of space between us, but doesn't whip out by sitting at the opposite end. The guy has guts. First of all, let me just state the obvious. My mom begins with measured restraint. You're both grounded. I wonder how my mom has the authority to ground Mr. Mystery, But she continues. I've been on the phone all night with your mother and father, Luke. Luke? Nice name. Mom goes on. It's unfortunate that I had to meet new members of our community under these circumstances. But I think that you'll find your father's current state even more unfortunate. He was out looking for the two of you all night. He is not happy. Luke groans next to me and bangs his head. The berating continues. I'll call them when you're on your way so they know you're safe. But first, will one of you tell me where on earth you were this whole night? I've tried to call and text a million times. I take out my cell and find five texts and eight missed calls. I turned it off, I mutter, looking down. As I replace the phone in my pocket, mom folds her arms across her chest and the room grows silent. I look at Luke. He raises his eyebrows expectantly, as if he thinks I'm going to explain the situation to my mother. As if I can explain the situation to my mother. He has no idea. I am silent. Seriously, he harshly whispers at me before turning to face my mom. We were out past Old Fox Road, just north of town, he says. I planned this whole dinner and a movie thing. My minivan has a DVD player and we ate pizza and looked at the stars. It was no big deal. Until I guess we fall asleep. I'm really sorry, Mrs. Lane. What? He hisses at me when he of my way and sees my mouth open, stared. I'm sorry. And sees my open mouth stare. I'm in shock. I can't believe I missed what might have been my best date ever. I turn to my mom, mouth slightly ajar, and the eyes melt. I see in her eyes a realization. She understands now that I don't remember the evening. Keeping off the facade for Luke's benefit, she asks. Is that true, London? Her look tells me to agree. Yeah, I breathe. Finding myself desperate to be alone with Luke and have him retell every minute of the night, judging by his expression of sour lemons, is a dash of confusion. I doubt his interest in reliving the fun just yet. I doubt that I told him anything about my faulty wiring. I doubt it, but I can't be sure. My mom speaks again. Okay. Then, yeah. Because I trust my daughter and because she seemed like you come from a nice family look, I choose to believe that this was an honest mistake, and we will leave it at that. I don't love the fact that the two of you were so far out of town alone, but I can't say that I didn't explore the outskirts of the town a time or two myself. My mom smiles and Luke's expression is now confused. He doesn't understand why this woman has just turned compassionate. She puts on her tough mom hat again and adds in a harsher tone. But you're still grounded. Luke, you better get home. Your parents are worried. With that, she leaves the room and heads to the kitchen. I know that this is her way of letting me say goodbye to Luke without her watchful eye on us. I walk him to the door. Before he leaves, he turns and eyes me skeptically. What happened back there, he asks. I'm so sorry, I begin, because I am. I just froze. I've never done anything like that before. I say it because I think it's true. And I have? It's like I'm some degenerate or something. My parents are going to kill me. I'm really sorry, I say again, stepping closer to him. He grabs my hand and smiles down at me through his thick eyelashes, and my heart sputters. Was it worth it? He asks seriously. Yes, I say, looking up at him, standing here holding the hand of this gorgeous being, even for these few moments. It's worth every bit of it. Do you think so? I ask in return. Definitely, he says, brushing a strand of hair from my face. He bends down and slightly skims my lips with his. Then whispers in my ear. See you soon, Prom Queen. And with that, that will be the end of the reading for today. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Once again, let me know what you guys think. Give it a clap or like it. Also, we are now on Apple Podcasts and Anchor. Spotify, Google Podcasts, and many more. So, I hope you guys enjoyed it. And tomorrow we'll read from chapter 19 to maybe chapter 25. Even more, maybe. So, bye.